Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up, Nets basketball continues with a new coach out of the All-Star break, and the losses keep piling up. Is this team cooked? And more importantly, are they heading for an inevitable rebuild? All that and more after the theme music. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure to check out Believe in Nets on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. The Nets are four games in out of the All-Star break, and where is Jock Vaughn when you need him? Not really, but it's been a brutal opening to the Kevin Ali era I don't know, era, experiment, whatever word you want to use for it. The Nets are 1-3 in Ali's first four games at the helm. They lost last night by 27 points to the Orlando Magic on the back end of the back-to-back. They won the night prior against the Memphis Grizzlies, who frankly are rolling out a roster of primarily G League players. So a win is a win is a win, but not too much you're going to take from that one. So 1-3. and three, Losses by 28 to the Toronto Raptors, 15 to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I said 27 last night to the Orlando Magic. And it's been pretty ugly. It's looked worse, the same if not worse, than what we saw under Jock Vaughn over about a two-month stretch prior to his abrupt firing in the four games under Kevin Ollie. The Nets are averaging 92.8 points per game, last in the NBA. They're shooting 40% from the field, last in the NBA. 27.6% from three, that's 29th or 28th in fast break points. They have the ninth most turnovers, and they're not really doing anything well right now. The offense is just abysmal. It's it's a the Nets are one of the most difficult watches in the NBA right now in terms of just the product, watchability, the offense, the flow of things. They just have nothing going on a nightly basis. And it starts with the top two players. Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas. And I'm going to recap, you know, some of what went wrong during the stretch and looking back. And then in this episode, going to work towards answering the question I think that should be on everybody's minds right now. Is this team heading towards an inevitable rebuild? And, you know, just speaking on these offensive struggles that I just was touching on, it starts at the top of two players, and that's Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas. And for better or worse, Those are your guys right now if you're the Nets. And right now, they're just not getting it done. The Nets are 2-8 and over their last 10 games. During that span, Mikhail Bridges averaging 17 points. He's shooting 39.5% from the field, 29% from three. Bridges is in a really glaring stretch over his last three games. He's 2 of 25 from three. Had four points last night for the Nets. That's a season low. Probably the worst game that he's played since joining the Nets. So, He's struggling big time. Cam Thomas missed last night's game with an ankle sprain. He sprained his left ankle earlier in the season. This is a right ankle. He had x-rays that were negative. MRI is waiting results. But, you know, over nine games prior to that, Thomas was also struggling alongside Bridges, averaging 17.6 points per game, 36.8% from the field, 34.6% from three. And, you know, these are two guys that are being tasked with leading this Nets offense, and it's becoming more and more apparent the farther we get into the season 
that they're two guys that just aren't up to that role right now for a team that's trying to be a playoff team. And I don't think that that would come as a major surprise to, to you know, it shouldn't come as a major surprise to most people. I think that Mikhail Bridges's end or, you know, a stint after joining the Nets last season really elevated expectations to a point that were untenable. He, you know, he was at 27 points per game on near 50, 40, 90 over, I think it was 27 games to close the regular season last year. And that obviously brought about questions of can Mikhail be more than what he's shown, more than this number three option, more than this really high level complementary three and D wing. And, you know, while I still think he can be more than just a three and D wing, you know, a high level three and D wing. I think that getting this extended sample size, we're now at, you know, significant amount more games in this season than he played in that stretch last season. And it's becoming apparent that, you know, he's obviously not that number one option. Can he do more than I think that he did dur during his uh, Phoenix tenure? Absolutely. But he's not that number one option. I think that anybody who had, you know, illusions that he was going to be a number one option for a playoff team you know, it just, it wasn't the case, you know, and it wasn't going to happen. And while I still think that he's a very good player, I think that he's a player that is going to look much better if they were to get a lead high usage guy in the door who could set him up, allow him to slide back to a role that while more than what he did in Phoenix, he's more comfortable in, he's going to look much better doing that. But right now he's being tasked with being the Nets's, you know, number one, if not number two guy alongside Cam Thomas. And, you know, the minutes are piling up and he's having a lot of struggles and that, you know, while I think these struggles as of late are more glaring than you would have thought, I think a regression from what we saw last season was to be expected. And I think that this extended stretch is solidifying the fact that McHale is, you know, probably a really high level three on a championship team and probably a two on a team that's, you know, fighting to get into the playoffs and, you know, probably an early round exit. So, you know, he's playing a little bit out of his role right now and the struggles have been glaring. And then you get to a guy like Cam Thomas. And this is a guy who's 22 years old. It's the first time in his NBA career that he has a solidified rotation role and is stepping into a feature role. And he's made a leap this season. There's no doubt about it. As a scorer, his playmaking has really improved, I'd say, over the last month, particularly early in the season was not good. But it's gotten a lot better over this last month. And, you know, it's encouraging but it's also clear that he's not a top guy, you know, a top scorer, a, a guy who's going to carry an offense, an offensive engine on a playoff team right now. Now, is that to say that he can't get there? You know, that's to be determined. But, you know, a guy who's six foot you know, three, an undersized guard like Cam, who's still figuring it out from a playmaking perspective, is not a high level passer, regardless of improvements. He has made you know some leaps. He's not a high-level passer. He's an average passer at best. He obviously is going to have his struggles, you know, getting to the rim and finishing at that level, you know, at his size. So he's a player that I think can be a very high-level scorer, you know, for a good team. But when you're tasking him with being the primary offensive creator alongside another guy, Miguel Bridges, who's not comfortable with that, you're going to have glaring struggles. And, you know, that's what the Nets are going through right now offensively. They were going through it under Jock Vaughn. McHale made his comments about wanting the offense to be more structured, wanting to know what they're doing. And I think a lot of that frustration is just coming out of the fact, and I said this after he made the comments, that a lot of the frustrations are just coming from the fact that he's playing out of his role right now, and there's not a lot of, you know, corrections or solutions on this team. 
And I'm going to get more into the Jock Vaughn firing, but everybody was clamoring for Jock Vaughn to be fired. It seemed like Mikhail Bridges included, and he's fired. And, you know, we're four games in. Kevin Ollie is going to need more time to implement his vision, but there's not a whole lot to be done offensively with where this Nets roster is at. And, you know, it's it's a tough situation right now, and it's being accentuated by the fact that their supporting players aren't playing well either right now. I mean, you look at two guys who are supposed to be their top supporting scorers or shooters alongside Bridges and Cam Thomas, and that's Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney-Smith. And during that 10-game span in which they're 2-8, and eight, Johnson's shooting 28% from three, and Finney-Smith is shooting 26% from three. So those are the guys that are expected, you know, to space the floor for Bridges and Thomas. You know, it goes both ways. You know, maybe Bridges and Thomas aren't creating the best spacing for those guys, which is impacting the quality of looks that they're getting. But those guys aren't hitting shots, which is also affecting the spacing that, you know, Bridges and Thomas have. So both ways, it's not good right now from the high level players down to the complimentary shooters that the Nets have on this roster. And, you know, the offensive struggles are trickling down to the defense and it's all glaring. But, you know, speaking after this magic game last night, the play beyond those offensive struggles is just as concerning, if not more, which is, you know, what I took away from the game last night because the Nets are, they're getting beaten areas that have nothing to do with offensive talent. They're allowing, you know, the offense, I'm not going to deny that the offense has impacts on other areas of the game, but some of these numbers are just brutal. I mean, they're allowing 24 fast points, fast break points per game in the four games under Kevin Ollie. That's the most in the NBA. They were outscored 88 to 18 in fast break points in their three losses. They let up 46 fast break points in their first game under Ali. That was a franchise record. You talk about this magic game last night, just matching up in transition, the Nets aren't doing it. They're getting beat down the floor on made baskets in this game, which is obviously just a glaring lack of effort in transition defense. The Nets had, I think, 22 turnovers last night in this game against the Magic. But the Magic turned the ball over 19 times, so it was very close to the same amount of turnovers. Yet the Magic scored 29 fast break, uh, 29 points off turnovers. The Nets scored 13 points off turnovers. Now, what is that telling me? Tell me your transition defense is just bad. You know that that's. I mean, the Nets might have some more live ball turnovers, which is contributing to that. But there being that glaring a disparity in points off turnovers when you have near the same turnovers just tells you that there's a glaring transition defense. And when you're talking about effort, hustle on a team, which is what Kevin Ali talked about out of the gate, talked about EGBs, energy generating behaviors, his first practice, there's 17 of them. We went over those nonstops. You know, we want hunters on this team. If you're not going to hunt, you're not going to play. All of that, all those cliches. One of the first stats you're looking for when you're talking about a team and their hustle is, are they getting back on defense? Transition points, fast break points, and the Nets aren't doing it right now. The effort in that area is abysmal. And while I'm not going to deny the fact that their offensive struggles are contributing to that in a big way, that is something that is controllable in terms of effort. Among many other things, getting beat back door, you know, letting drivers just walk to the hoop last night at the point of attack, miscommunications on switches. Talk about the offensive struggles. How about multiple actions on offense? How about, you know, you get into a high pick and roll or you get into a Chicago on the strong side? How about going to the weak side, setting a pin down, getting into a second side action? The Nets don't do it. It's a lot of, you know, high ball screens. It's a lot of, 
you know, pin downs, Chicago actions, DHOs. And then after that, it's a lot of times Nets looking around, you know, at people standing on the perimeter waiting for something to happen. There are several possessions in the first half last night where the Nets are watching Dennis Smith Jr. at the top of the key and looking for him to just create something one-on-one. That is probably the worst form of offense that the Nets could possibly put together. So, you know, that's my long-winded way of saying the Nets offense obviously is bad. The team is struggling. There's a lack of shot creation. There's a lack of ability to create their own advantages on the offensive end of the floor. But all those things that I went down have nothing to do with talent. And it's cliche, but those are things that are completely controllable. And, you know, the lack of effort and the lack of ability to buy into some of those things is why I think that the Jock Vaughn firing was low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. And I mean, I get why they made the move. I was surprised that they fired Jock Vaughn at the All-Star break. Not that he got fired, but by the timing of the fire, which I think was the consensus among people that were evaluating the move. A lot of people thought that they were going to wait to the offseason to make this move. And I did personally because I thought that they bring in another coach or they promote an interim head coach like Ollie or Will Weaver or whoever it was going to be. Is this team going to get much better? And I get why they made the move. The team looked like they had quit on Vaughn. You have the 50-point loss against the Celtics right before the break. Mikhail Bridges makes his comments about the team needing to know what they're doing offensively, and it didn't seem like there was any going back. But this is a flawed roster right now, and the issues on this roster far transcend the coach. And while I think that this roster is better than the product that they're putting on the floor right now, when you're struggling like this for such an extended period and there isn't belief in you know that scoring ability or that top guy. The comparison I like to use to this is a football team with a bad quarterback, say. It's a thing that translates to the rest of the team. It affects the defense. It affects the rest of the offense. It has a trickle-down effect, and they're just being a lack of belief in the team being able to overcome deficits, a team being able to compete with high-level teams. When you don't have that quarterback, that top guy leading a football team, it affects everything else, and it affects the fight and the will to win from the rest of the team. And I, it's it's a comparison that I make to the Nets having Mikhail Bridges and Cam Thomas leading the offense. And it's not even really a slight or a shot at those players. It's just a fact of those guys being asked to do more than they're comfortable with. And nobody, you know, I never had any grand illusions that Mikhail Bridges or Cam Thomas were going to be elite, you know, number one scoring options this year. So this shouldn't even really be news, but when you don't have that number one scoring option, like a football team that doesn't have a quarterback, it affects the belief of the team. The offense starts to stagnate. There are those struggles. When things aren't going right, they get really bad really fast, and it starts to have a snowball effect and trickle down to all those things that I just touched on, whether it be transition defense, turnovers, you know, getting beat back door on defense, point of attack defense, rebounding. All of that stuff starts to just go down because the effort and the will and the belief of the team as a whole starts to just shrink and crumble. So, you know, it's a roster that's flawed right now. You know, it's why the Jock Vaughn firing wasn't something that was going to really improve the team. Now, I think that you would like to think that with a move like that and a new head coach, you would at least get the new coach jolt of energy that a lot of teams were hoping for. And I think that's what, you know, Sean Marks was hoping for when he made the move. But the Nets haven't even gotten that. And frankly, it's looked, I'd say, almost even worse. Now, it's not going to look worse than the 50-point loss, but over, you know, in a little bit of an extended stretch here, it looks really bad in terms of effort. And all of these struggles, you know, this coaching change, the continued struggles, and that's looking like, frankly, one of the worst teams in the league, 
it brings about the question, the main thing that I wanted to touch on in this episode, are the Nets heading towards an inevitable rebuild? Is there no way, way around the fact that this is the direction that they're going to need to go in? Because if the Nets let go of the rope the rest of this season, and I, you know, I'll, I'll say they have an easier stretch of the schedule coming up. They have the second easiest remaining strength of schedule. So it's not out of the question that they can turn this around and gain some improvement. But it really looks bad, these first four games under Kevin Ollie. If the Nets let go of the rope, where does that leave the organization? And most importantly, where does that leave Sean Marks as general manager? Because the plan has been made clear. You know, before at the trade deadline with the firing of Vaughn and the promotion of Ali to interim head coach, the plan has been made clear by Sean Marks. He turned down you know, inquiries from the Houston Rockets, notably, that would have returned some, some of the Nets' draft capital from the tra- James Harden trade. I keep seeing people on Nets Twitter, other people saying the Nets could have gotten all their picks back. They could have gotten this, that, all of their picks. You know, all is the word that keeps being used. And, you know, we don't know that. I've talked to people, you know, I've talked to people within the Nets organization. I've talked to I had Brian Lewis on the podcast. I've talked to Mike Scotto, who was the initial guy who reported the news. All we know, Mike Scotto said several of the Nets draft assets from the James Harden trade. Might even have been much of their draft capital from the James Harden trade. I think that that's fair to assume with a player of Bridges' caliber. But we don't know that it was all of their draft capital. That's the point I'm trying to make here. But regardless, that decision and the news that – you know, apparently they wouldn't even enter negotiations with the Rockets, signaled the plan and the direction that they were going to go, which only was confirmed by Sean Marks during his press conference following the Jock Vaughn firing. The Nets have seven tradable first-round picks and cap space in 2025, and the tradable picks number is only going to go up come draft night. Their only players under contract in 2025-26 are Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Then they have Dorian Finney-Smith on a player option. They have Noah Clowney and Tariq Whitehead on rookie-scale team options. Obviously, you're going to have to see what happens with Nick Claxton, Cam Thomas, De'Ron Sharp, all those guys. But the point is they have flexibility from a cap space perspective, and they have a lot of draft picks that are going to be valued by a lot of people. And those draft picks, that cap space, the allure of the New York market is clearly part of the plan of Sean Marks and what he's looking to pitch to these stars when he wants them to come here. Here's what he said in his press conference after he fired Jock Vaughn. We have to show stars that there's a pathway to win here. I think there's a very clear pathway from draft assets, cap room, and everything else we've got. And I think this city speaks for itself. It's been very clear that people have wanted to come here and play in the past. It's not as if my phone wasn't ringing the last 48 hours with people wanting to come here. It's certainly going to be a robust coaching search. And at the end of the day, I have no doubt that we'll find the right person to lead this franchise into the future. So Marks obviously is looking at his draft assets, his cap space, the allure of playing in a big market like New York, which I'm not going to deny, will always have an impact on stars wanting to come here. We've seen that in the past. But Marks also made it clear during that press conference that he wanted to see improvement to end the season. He wanted to see this team start to put a better product on the floor, which obviously attracting stars, you know, that is a big part of that. They want to have a product that looks at least somewhat attractive. And early, you know, it's it's we're four games in under Kevin Ali. Very early, he's going to need more time to implement whatever he wants to do. But it's looking really bad, really bad. As I said, the same, if not worse, than what we saw under Jock Vaughn. And you know, looking at the way that this team is playing and how it's been managed, it's fair to question what star is going to want to come here. The Nets are nine and twenty-six over their last thirty-five games. 
Only four teams have a worse record during that span. The Hornets, the Spurs, the Pistons, and the Wizards. That's, you know, and then you bring in the fact that they just fired Jock Vaughn, a head coach, less than a year into a four-year contract extension, which frankly is just a red flag of dysfunction if I'm a star around the league. So, you know, it brings about the question, is a star like Donovan Mitchell or whoever really going to sign up for spending several years of their prime in this situation? You know, obviously you would think that the Nets know more than we do on that front. But just from an outside perspective, just looking at the situation as a whole, it seems unlikely. It seems very unlikely, frankly. Now, is it out of the question? I don't think because of the assets the Nets have, things that they might be able to pitch the team on and things along those lines. But it's a little bit of a stretch right now, especially if these struggles continue, which is why I think you saw Sean Marks make the move and have some urgency about improving this team in the second half of the season. Now, I will say that, the Nets are the rare team where a star would elevate them more than others. You know, Nets fans like to joke throughout, you know, early in the season during the struggles and now into now, they like to joke, you know, oh, this is the team that's one move away from contending. What a joke. Ha, ha. And like, no, I don't think that that's the case, that they're one move away from contending. But you look at this team, you look at the roster, and their top players are high level complementary pieces who are playing out of their role right now, like a guy like Mikhail Bridges, as I just said, and teams that are this bad, usually aren't deep with established rotations, pieces, or veterans the way that the Nets are. I just said Mikhail Bridges, look at a guy like Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Nick Claxton, an up-and-coming player like Cam Thomas is more like what you'd see on a rebuilding team. But those guys that I said, you know, Bridges, Claxton, Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, like teams that are this bad, it's very rare to have that many red veteran good pieces who are used to playing alongside stars and being in complimentary roles and being in playoff situations. You don't see that often. And it's because obviously the Nets made the trade, you know, of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that brought those players in. And they're kind of in a little bit of a limbo phase right now, but they are that rare team that I do think that getting a player like a Donovan Mitchell, like a whoever, that high usage lead scoring star would elevate the rest of the players a lot more than teams that are also, you know, in similar standing to them in the standings. Like I just said, the Pistons, the Wizards, the Spurs, um, whoever. Like it's those teams don't have the same kind of established pieces that the Nets do, where if they were to get that top guy, they'd be better. But I think the Nets would take a much bigger leap because the established foundation that they have. So Sean Marks is obviously banking on that. You know, this team is struggling, but we need that top guy to unlock the rest of these pieces. That sounds like it's going to be the pitch, obviously, along with all the team building capabilities that they have from a draft, you know, draft asset standpoint, from cap space in the future. But with the way the Nets are playing right now, even if that star would elevate them, you know, this all brings about the question, is it a smart or viable plan to a title to try to go after stars right now? Does this team have a realistic path within Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and whoever's window, really just Bridges, he's the guy that's cemented in. He's 27 years old. From the way that Sean Marks talked at his trade deadline presser, it sounds like the Nets are viewing this as a four to five year window that Bridges can be playing at this level or playing at a high level. He's playing bad right now, but will be in his prime until he's 20, you know, 31, 32 years old. Because Sean was talking about it and he said, it's going to be interesting to see what Mikhail Bridges looks like when he enters his prime among other guys. But when I heard that, I, I talked about this on the podcast. I was like, do I, do I not know something here? Is Bridges not 27 years old, but 
I think, you know, from what he's saying, that just means that they're viewing this as he has another, you know, four or five years of high level basketball. So that's the window that they're looking at this in. So, you know, that brings in the question though, as I said, can they realistically build a title team whether, you know, going after stars or whoever in that window? And, you know, I've said that I think that the best move for them is rebuilding. I was on the record on that after the trade deadline, when they turned down those Houston inquiries, I said, well, I said, I don't think that, you know, it's that they're not going to be able to pivot back to that if they want to at some point, potentially. I was on the move, the record of saying that I think that that's the smartest move. It's the most logical move of, you know, how they could rebuild this team and set themselves up best for the future. Because if you're talking about a star trade for a guy like Donovan Mitchell, whoever, the real question, the real point that is key here is that, as I said, it's not one move for the Nets. The Nets would have to make that Donovan Mitchell trade. That would make them a lot better, but they would have to also make other moves around the margins, whether that's trading a Dorian Finney-Smith or a Cam Johnson or a Nick Claxton or multiple of those guys to try to have enough assets left over to go after another piece to make Mikhail Bridges probably the number three option where he would be on a contending team. So if the question is, can they not only pull off that first star for a trade like Donovan Mitchell or whoever, can they then have enough assets left over to go after another star and then fill out the rest of the roster and build a contender and do all that within Mikhail Bridges's window? And Bridges is going to, you know, he only has two years left on his contract. After that, you're going to have to extend him on a much higher number, which is going to affect your ability to do all of that and, you know, cap space and things along those lines. So the point being that it seems, it seems like a little bit of a pipe dream that the Nets are going to be able to acquire that first star with the way they're playing right now and all that. And then not only that, have enough assets left over and then pitch another star, whoever that may be, to come join the team. It seems like a pipe dream. It doesn't seem realistic. Is it completely out of the question? I can't say that right now, but I would say that I would, I would not, if I was a betting man, I would not put good odds on it. Those odds would be extremely long that they'd be able to pull off something like that. And then that brings into the question of Sean Marks and the way that he's approaching this and you know, you look at a guy like him who came into a situation where the Nets had traded all their draft picks following that Boston trade up with uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And he came in and he immediately said, those picks are a sunk cost. They have no, you know, they have no effect on our team. We can't think about those as we're going about that. And he was, he was willing to bottom out. He was willing to, you know, take on those bad contracts, whether it be, you know, whoever you want to say, he was willing to take on those contracts to get those draft picks to turn, you know, aging veterans like, you know, whether it was uh, Thaddeus Young or Boyan Bogdanovich, whoever, and get draft picks that turned into Karis Silver and Jared Allen. He was willing to take his medicine in the short term to set up the team for the medium to the long term. Now, it's interesting because the Nets don't have their picks. They're in a similar situation, but this time it's Sean Marks that made the trade for James Harden. And he's the one that traded away those picks. And he's on his eighth year as GM. He's on his, you know, second or third or whatever iteration you want to call it of this team. He's on you know, the second phase of having made a huge move like that. And it's his own picks. And it brings about the question, is he willing, even if it's the right move, is he willing to go into that rebuild when he's the one who set up this stuff with the James Harden trade? Is he GMing right now to try to save his job? How does Joe Sy factor into all of this? But that's the question. Is Sean Marks, if the rebuild is determined as the best option for this team, which right now I would say, via you know a trade with Houston, say, to get your picks back. Is Sean Marks willing to enter a rebuild to be really bad in the short term? Does he have that luxury from Joe Sy to be able to do something like that? Or would a move like that mean his job? 
And in that situation, is he GMing to try to save his job by trying to pursue what I just call the pipe dream of being able to acquire these stars to pair alongside Mikhail Bridges and stay competitive? You know, also, as I said, Joe Sy involved in the conversation of does he not want to go into a rebuild because of how it may hurt him financially, how it may hurt the Nets valuation. And that's just a reportedly in talks to sell 15 percent of the uh, a 15 percent stake in BSE Global, their parent company, to um, the Koch family. Which brings about the question, you know, how is Sean, how is Joe Sy viewing this in the long term? Is he going to be the owner of this team? Does he maybe not want to hurt the value of the franchise in the short term if he's willing to say, sell a lot of, you know, a lot of things that just, you know, my long-winded way of saying, are the Nets really invested in making the best decision for this franchise in the long term? Or are they trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound per se instead of taking their medicine in the short term? So, you know, that's kind of the the questions that need to be asked about all of this. And if you say maybe, you know, that's not the case and that they are willing to enter a rebuild and they're willing to identify that that's the best move and that trading for these stars isn't a viable path to the timeline, then the question becomes, when is it too late to trade Mikhail Bridges? Because Houston wants to be competitive. They're looking to make a playoff push this season. And, you know, it goes past Houston just in terms of his value. What is the point where it's too late to make that decision and you're entering way too – I mean, it might already be too late because they could have moved off of some of these veterans and some of these guys they have now, you know, whether at the trade deadline last year when they made the trade with Durant and Irving or, you know, at the summer or this trade deadline or whoever. You know, when is the point where it's far too late in Mikhail Bridges' case particularly to make that pivot to a rebuild and are you really sacrificing a ton of value? As I said, Mikhail Bridges has two years left on his contract after this season. It's one of the best value deals in the league. So I've said, you know, Sean Marks didn't make that move at the deadline to, you know, trade Mikhail Bridges to Houston. But I've said that I think it's a move that they could potentially pivot to in the offseason if they were to identify that this isn't going the way that it's going. And, you know, Marks is to move away from that plan that I said that he's made very clear about trying to attract a star and be set up with cap space in 2025. If that, you know, if you were to identify that, in my opinion, I don't even think it's my opinion. I just think it's a fact. The Nets have to make that decision within the next two two transaction cycles, which would be this offseason and then by next trade deadline at the latest. Because by next trade deadline, if you hold on to Mikhail Bridges past that trade deadline, you're getting to the point where he has one year left on his contract. That's when it's going to start to hurt his value. It's going to start to limit the return that you can get on him significantly. And that's the point where when Mikhail Bridges is your golden goose, he's your guy in terms of value that people really want around the league. There's nobody on the Nets that even comes close to fetching potentially the same value that Mikhail Bridges has. It's an absolute must that you have to maximize the value of a guy like that. So I would say next trade deadline's the latest that the Nets could wait to make a move like that if they were to identify that a rebuild is the proper route. Based on everything Sean Marks has said, you know, I don't see them doing that right now. You know, would I be shocked if they did? No, I wouldn't be shocked. But everything that he said, everything that he signaled, and frankly, the situation that he finds himself in, he should be a guy who's entering the hot seat. And then that brings about the question of, is he GMing, you know, to save his job, as I said before, and is he willing to make a move like that? So will they move off a guy like Bridges by next trade deadline? You know, it's tough to say right now, but if I was a betting man, I'd say no. Could they, how they play the rest of the season impact that? I think it could. I think that the rest of the season 
you know, has a big effect because just optically to stars and people that they want to attract, if they keep going in this direction, they keep losing at this rate. And they're one of the five, six, seven worst teams in the NBA in terms of record by the end of the year, it's going to be really tough to pitch a star on this situation. Now, as I said, they have the second easiest remaining strength of schedule. They're really starting to enter a soft stretch coming up. So they need to start winning some basketball games. And I do think that while the season is lost and people might say, who cares? If you're a Nets fan, there is incentive to watch this team to have some interest because this is a team that is with draft capital. They're not just tanking. It's not just like, oh, you know, we don't have our pick. You know, we're, um, we do have our pick. We're going to just tank and we're going to get this draft guy. And that's all that cares. You want to lose. No, they don't have their draft pick. They're a team that has draft assets and cap space coming up. They're a team that's deep with veterans. They want to attract stars. So there's a premium on closing out the season strong. And I think that's why, obviously, you saw the move of Sean Marks to fire Jock Mon at the deadline and say that we want to gain some momentum and we want to see some movement from this group with Kevin Ollie at the helm. That's what he said. So, you know, the end of this season is important for the Nets. They're now, I think Atlanta won last night. Nets obviously lost in Orlando. So I think the Nets are four games out of 10th place, which is the last playing spot in the Eastern Conference, obviously. So four games out, but Atlanta lost Trey Young to a, I think he tore a ligament in his pinky finger. So he's going to be reevaluated in a month, which we all know that reevaluated doesn't mean he's going to be back in the month. So there's potential that this is a season ending injury. So that's our four games back of the Atlanta Hawks and they're returning home right now. And their next two games are against Atlanta at home. So this is a potential season defining two games for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, you know, they're still going to play hard the rest of the way, obviously, because they want to make their record look as good as possible to look attractive to whoever they're trying to go after in the you know near future. But in terms of the play-in race, in terms of having the ability to have any chance at, a, at securing a playoff spot, four games back in Atlanta with two games against Atlanta back-to-back -back at home coming up, they could either be six back or they could be you know two back or three or four back. So this is a season-defining because if they lose both of these games, say – they're six games back, or they even lose one of them and they're five games back, it becomes very, very less and less likely that they're going to be able to get to that 10th spot and have any shot to even optically just be in the plane and have a shot at the playoffs if you're trying to pitch those players. So very important two games coming up for the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, things under Kevin Ollie is going to need more time, but it's not looking good out of the gate. But the schedule is getting softer. We'll see if they can start to improve, and we'll see You know, all these things that I was talking about with their rebuilding situation, with Sean Marks and how he's managing the team, all things to keep in mind as you're watching the rest of the season. You're trying to evaluate what they could do in the offseason, the potential names they could go after. So things to follow. Obviously, we'll have more coverage of all of that on the Believe in Nets podcast. You're on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. Really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and my breakdown of the Nets' struggles and where they stand from a team-building perspective. I'm Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. Make sure you guys subscribe to Believe in Nets on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. Smash the like button. Please leave a five-star review if you can and you enjoy the content. Really trying to grow this channel and really appreciate what that does. I'll have more coverage for you guys coming up. You can follow all my work on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. All my articles on ClutchPoints.com, constant news, updates, analysis. Huge two games at home coming up before a stretch run to close the season. I'll be with you guys for all of it. Talk to you soon. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.